You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. All my bags are packed. I'm headed to Detroit Motor City, where we're going to have special continuing coverage of nights one and two of the second Democratic presidential debate live Tuesday and Wednesday only. in Detroit, where all the magic is happening. But before that, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he delivered a blistering, blistering, fiery critique on the Senate floor earlier this afternoon, going after his critics and talking about Russia meddling. We're going to dive into that. We've got two all-stars here for the hour, Sari Kim, Republican strategist, and Kevin Walling, a Democratic strategist. They're going to navigate through the host of politics, policy, Secretary of Treasury Stephen Mnuchin heads to China with U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer to continue negotiating the deals. I just interviewed uh, Cleet Willems. He's the uh, former deputy at the National Economic Council inside of the Trump administration. Now he's outside of the administration about what to expect on the U.S.-China trade talks. And why is President Trump going after Baltimore what is the strategy with going after Baltimore? We'll get into that as well. Happy Monday, folks. Hold on to your seatbelts. It was a pretty busy day for a slow news day. Heading into August, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell took to the Senate floor to condemn, quote-unquote, modern-day McCarthyism, feckless Obama policies, and pushed back against those who have called him a, quote-unquote, Russian asset. It blew up Twitter. It totally dominated all of the uh, D.C. uh, Hill publications. The Hill newspapers headline, quote, McConnell blasts modern day McCarthyism, defends blocking election bills. Axios headline, quote, McConnell lashes out at media Democrats over Moscow Mitch label. 
Wow. Here with me in studio, because that's where we have to begin today, and there's also a host of other news to get through. Sari Kim is a Republican strategist, a former senior advisor in the Trump administration. Kevin Walling is a Democratic strategist. Now he's over at HG Creative Media. Sari, I, I, I want to play just a portion of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's remarks, and then I want to get your take as to why he took this opportunity to do this. Take a listen to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell talking about election interference and Russia meddling. Let me make this crystal clear for the hyperventilating hacks who haven't actually followed this issue. Every single member of the Senate agrees that Russian meddling was real and is real. He goes on to say, quote, I was called unpatriotic, un-American, and essentially treasonous by a couple of left-wing pundits on the basis of bold-faced lies. I was accused of aiding and abetting the very man I've singled out as an adversary and opposed for nearly 20 years, Vladimir Putin. Wow. I mean, it's a very extraordinary... Sorry about that. Your mic was off. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's Sound a- on. <laughs> Sound on now. Yes. Um, so let's take a bifurcated look at this at both the personal as well as the professional. As it relates to the personal, it all started when an editorial opinion writer for the Washington Post said that the leader of the United States Senate is a quote-unquote Russian asset. In intelligence parlance, an <sighs> asset is used to collect information for an opposing government. And then a morning show anchor referred to Mitch McConnell as Moscow Mitch. So from a very personal perspective, he was attacked as being non-American. And isn't there like a billboard in, in, in Kentucky for the 20? He's up for re-election in 2020. Right. And But I think for him, you have to understand, he is 77 years old. He has spent his entire life working for the United States government. To personally say to somebody who has lived through a major war, communism, the right. fall of the USSR, that you are an asset of that government is very personal. So... And- I- Go ahead. No, I didn't mean to get- no, no, and it's and and then just from a perspective, professional perspective, I think it kind of feeds into this very tired notion that we have to use increased rhetoric in order to get people's attention, and that is, you know, quite sadly, what the Washington Post and MSC, NBC has chosen to do to a man who has spent fifty plus years working on behalf of the United States people. So he goes on to say on the on the Senate floor earlier today. Quote, these pundits are lying, lying when they dismiss the work that has been done. They're lying when they insist I have personally blocked actions, which, in fact, I have championed and the Senate has passed. They're lying. Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist. I I mean, I was struck by this for for a host of different reasons. But when I was prepping for the show, I mean, one of the reasons was when I talked to Trump administration officials, Trump campaign officials, members of the first family over the past couple of years, what they have... What they have said consistently is the criticism isn't just that you disagree with their policies. It's that you are essentially saying that they are working for a hostile foreign power. The Senate majority leader typically has issued previews of how Republicans will defend themselves in midterm elections and also at the presidential level. But he obviously wants to expand the Senate map and also to win back the House. So I kind of notice when I hear that essentially saying, you're questioning my patriotism. And, you know, he's essentially saying that he'll have that fight every day of the week. 
Well, I, I wish the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, took this same level of passion that we saw today uh, and applied it to actually protecting the homeland. You know, he is not right when he says uh, that he has not held back multiple election security related pieces of legislation. His Republican leadership of the committee system has failed to even give a hearing to the House passed legislation back two months ago that would have put aside almost $400 million for election security, uh, would have strengthened our state voting processes. This follows the, the weekly report that we saw uh, just last week from the Senate Intelligence Committee that said that the Russians were able to get access to every one of our state's election-based systems. This is a huge wake-up call, and Mitch McConnell, unfortunately, has fallen down on the job in the two and a half years since that election, failed to pass any meaningful legislation through the Senate. Not even You can disagree with the House version of this bill. You can disagree with the amount of money the Democrats have said that we want to put up for election security, but at least put forward an idea. Don't condemn it. Well, don't 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 say no to everything, but actually put something up. He has failed to do so. He's failed to protect the homeland of this country. Sari, what Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist over at HG Creative Media, is referring to are two bills that came out of the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives mm-hmm. that would that would essentially uh, boost about three hundred and eighty million dollars to states for election security efforts. There was bipartisan legislation that passed in the previous Congress. Uh, that advanced really out of the Republican-controlled Senate, including one of those senators who's going to be on the debate stage in the next two nights in Detroit, Senator Amy Klobuchar. So what McConnell, Leader McConnell said on the Senate floor today was, it doesn't make Republicans traitors or un-American. It makes us policymakers with a different opinion. Sarah, he's saying, listen, let's have a policy debate about the best policies to protect Democratic lowercase d institutions and election interference. Uh but he's trying to have that conversation at a time in which, you know, he, you're you're called all of these which ways names. I mean, yeah. if we take the name calling out of it and let's just go back to why those two bills please, aren't on the floor. The they are not on the floor because Cindy Hyde-Smith, a senator from Mississippi, has serious concerns about whether those United States senators have read the bill. And I think it's very important to read the bill. In fact, the Democratic Party is the one that put up the 72-hour read notice. So if you move beyond that and take a step back, the whole reason why we're having a conversation about Russia and alleging very decisively that, you know, Senator Mitch McConnell is a Russian asset is because on July 24th, 2016, the Clinton campaign manager, as volume two, footnote 21 of the Mueller report said, went on national television and alleged that Donald Trump was an asset of the Russian government and conspired to fix the 2016 election. And at that time, there was a Democrat running the White House. At that time, there was a Democrat running the FBI. At that time, there was a Democrat running the DNI. It was a Democratic president, Sarah, that wanted to put out a joint statement with Mitch McConnell to say that we are currently under attack by the Russians, and Mitch McConnell said no. Oh. And, no. and we were hacked. Absolutely, that is the so case. So wait, wait, wait. I got that two is questions. absolutely the case. I got two Kev. questions for you, Kev. Yeah. <laughs> now we're doing the we're doing the Kevin the Kevin 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 Walling, Democratic strategist. Do you think the former president Barack Obama did everything that he should have done? to better protect democratic political institutions from hostile foreign powers like Russia interference. No. Okay. That is never included in this debate. Sure. Second question number two. Do you think Senate Majority Leader 
Mitch McConnell is a Russian asset. No. All right, and that's and that's but, that's the bottom line. But Coming again. up, we're gonna we're gonna talk <laughs> more about. But that's the bottom line. You can't have a policy debate, and I think everyone here agrees. And it's frustrating for us policy nerds. And I'm a sure. nerd. I'm a. Same. I'm not smart enough to be a nerd. I'm a dork. But like, <laughs> it's 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 hard to have these debates when you're calling the Senate Majority Leader a Russian asset. It was and, Dana Milback using a little bit of allegory uh, to raise awareness, oh, and that's on. what the only reason you know, why we're talking about it right you now. Know, you can have personality, but you don't have to, to use this type of rhetoric. Coming up, we're gonna talk more policy folks the director of national intelligence the new one well what does it mean plus we're going to talk about this beef that president trump has with baltimore talk about fiery rhetoric oh hold on i said this wrong in the intro the expression is hold on to your seats hold on to your seats not hold on to your seatbelts. you can fashion make sure you're wearing a seatbelt if you're driving coming up panel stays sari kim kevin walling download the sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Democratic presidential debate candidates square off in their second debate tomorrow night in Detroit. So tune in to listen right here on Bloomberg 99.1. I'm Kevin Cirilli, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. He attacks everybody. I know Donald Trump. He's not mature enough to take criticism. He can't help it. He's like a child. Somebody says something, he reacts. That was the Reverend Al Sharpton speaking earlier today outside of a Baltimore church where he's taken on President Trump's attacks on the city itself and its long-serving Congressman Elijah Cummings. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Sari Kim is here, Republican strategist and former senior advisor in the Trump administration. Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist, insider of all things 2020. And, and now he is also at HG Creative Media. Kev, why is President Trump going after Baltimore and Elijah Cummings? Uh, because I think uh, in his capacity as chairman of the House Oversight Committee, uh, Cummings just last week uh, was able to subpoena uh, and be- begin the process of getting some private records from Jared and Ivanka uh, of, on government business, on their devices. Uh, he sees this growing fight, I think, with uh, the chairman of the House Committee. So he, he wants to make it personal. He wants to attack the people, 700,000 people in the city of Baltimore. I used to live there. I love the city of Baltimore. And I think it's a fight he's not going to win. I, again, this is a, a sideshow president that's bringing up this issue to distract us from the actual oversight that this committee is going to move forward on in, in holding this uh, out-of-control administration accountable. I mean, he's he's really going after Elijah Cummings on Twitter. On Twitter, he, the president tweeted, quote, Baltimore, under the leadership of Elijah Cummings, has the worst crime statistics in the nation. 25 years of all talk, no action. So tired of listening to the same old bull. Uh, next, Reverend Al will show up and complain and protest. Nothing will get done for the people in need. Sad. I mean, it, it, there was multiple tweets today, Sari Kim, but I don't know. You know why why these why these types of tweets? Well, 
let's let's really get to the issue. I mean, as it relates to Baltimore itself, everybody knows that Baltimore is where we wrote the Star Spangled Banner. And in the 150 years since it has really gotten to be at a higher economic level, what we have seen since Elijah Cummings has been in office, not according to Donald Trump, but according to the FBI, is that they do have the highest crime rate. And I think two important statistics as it relates to Baltimore is very important. And this is while Elijah Cummings was a ranking member of Oversight and now as chairman. One, when President Obama was in office during the um, recovery stimulus, according to recovery.gov, $1.4 billion went to Baltimore, and it created 64 jobs. That is an amazing statistic. And two, approximately $17,000 are spent per pupil in Baltimore. And yet half of the students that live there don't go to school every day. Yeah, but, but, 60% of but them don't graduate from but, school. And the issue and the reason why these statistics continually are important is because Elijah Cummings, though he lives an hour away from the city, is so focused on a national debate that he can't take care of his residents. And the number one way to lift people out of poverty. The number one way to help people in oh, his district is to give them jobs. But, it's not to issue subpoenas. It's not to have fake right, hearings right. as but, it relates okay, I, to... I hear you, but, but yeah. the rhetoric on the tweets is racial. It There's is no, not racial. Oh, and no. you you, Sorry, you we, are... No, it is not, because I read the tweet. Don't I, tell I was me, defending Mitch McConnell. Don't tell me, uh, don't tell me as, a, don't tell me as a minority. Tweets. Don't tell me as a minority what is and is not racist. I, I know I what racism is. No, no, no. No, let's be very clear. You said that it was racist. And I when you see, racial. when you read the language of the don't tweet, wait, wait, wait. when you no, let me finish. When well, you wait, read, but don't misquote me. I said you, it was racial. When you read the language of the, the tweet, when you read the language of the tweet, they are identifying, they are identifying the problems as it relates to the city of Baltimore. And we should all be very clear that HBO won a Peabody, an Emmy, and several other awards for The Wire, which depicted Baltimore in exactly that same way. So you can't say that a tweet by the president highlighting the economic disparity of Baltimore is racial, racist, or anything to do with the color of their okay, skin. With all due respect, I, I let you talk. Okay. So let me just read this tweet from President Trump 11 hours ago referring to Al Sharpton and... I believe that this is racial. He said, quote, I have known Al for 25 years, went to fights with him and Don King, always got along well. He loved Trump. He would ask me for favors often. Al is a con man, a troublemaker, always looking for a score, just doing his thing, must have intimidated Comcast NBC, hates whites and cops. And Al Sharpton said right before that that Donald Trump hates black people. Kevin Walling. So here's, uh, you know, if we can separate a little bit of the passion, and I understand the passion on all this, is the sad fact that these tweets are about American citizens. The president is the president of all of the country. So these are his constituents as well. And unfortunately, over these last two and a half years, rather than just complaining, you know, I, I really like what Elijah Cummings did in response to this. In response to these tweets, he brought up drug prescription pricing. 
and said, I talked to you at the White House about this, and you have failed to take any action on this. Elijah Cummings has more character than this president will ever know or see, uh, and, and brought issues into this instead of just name-calling and instead of attacking the 700,000 people that live in Baltimore. Prescription drug is not an issue in Baltimore. The issue sure it in is. Baltimore, it's an issue no, the everywhere. Issue, the issue in Baltimore is that they have systemic issues as it relates to education, employment. You know that according to the Baltimore Sun, that neighborhood that Elijah Cummings represents that was indicated in the wire has no grocery store. It has no fast food restaurant. I mean, that's alarming. Why isn't Elijah well, Cummings focused on that? And it is not a, there's food deserts that are part of that city. But of course, let's not let's diagnose the problem and let's work together. Drug prescription costs for low-income people in the city of Baltimore is an issue there. For rural Americans, is an issue everywhere. It's all this rhetoric. I brought it I up just saying think everybody needs to stop. You know, whatever happened to like? Would you say that in front of your mother? Download yeah. the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Democratic presidential candidates, they square off in their second debate tomorrow night in Detroit. I'm going to Detroit. You can sure as heck bet that they're going to be talking about President Trump's tweets with regards to Elijah Cummings. Tune in. Listen right here. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm heading to Detroit, the Motor City, right after we get off air today, where we're going to be having special coverage of the second Democratic presidential debate. Here with me in, to, in studio, two all-stars to help us give a preview of this debate, Sari Kim, a Republican strategist and former senior advisor in the Trump administration, Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist, HG Creative Media. Kevin, what are you going to be looking for on Tomorrow night, where Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, they're going to be on the first stage. And then night two, where you've got Joe Biden versus Kamala Harris again. What are you looking for for this round of the debate? Yeah, Kev, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think there's definitely some interesting matchups. You um, rightly point out, you know, the fact that Senator Warren and Senator Sanders are going to be center stage. Um, I'll also note that Mayor Buttigieg is on that first night. Um, and you also have some more of the moderate members. Amy Klobuchar is on that stage. Um, uh, John Hickenlooper is on that stage. And I think you're going to see a little bit of a battle play out among the left flank and the more centrist camp uh, on, on that stage uh, tomorrow. I will note, interestingly enough, this is the same exact venue uh, where in 2016 Donald Trump had to decide, d- defend the size of his hands on that same debate stage oh, God. at Fox Theater Flashback. in Detroit. Yeah, kind of funny to be Sarah, back in that same place. Be looking for? I mean, the main thing that I will be looking for is whether there will be another campaign cut moment where every Democrat wants to get rid of private insurance, where every Mm. Democrat wants to raise their hands and say they want to give 
illegal immigrants' health insurance. And it's not just my perspective. I mean, Paul Begala, who we all know um, helped ran the winning Clinton campaign in 1992, he said that those are the most extraordinary things that he has seen in a winnable race. I don't necessarily agree with Paul Begala 90% of the time, <laughs> but you know, from a pure operative perspective, it is really interesting when a centrist Democrat who has leaned left now says that the field is so far left, he has to come to the center. You know, I, I was struck by this Kevin Walling Democratic strategist earlier on Bloomberg Television today. We had uh, the, the press secretary on for Senator Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. And I asked her about that moment in the last debate where, where Senator Sanders said that taxes would go up for middle inc- for middle class Americans uh, as a mechanism to pay for things like Medicare for all, free college tuition. Uh, and she said, you know, that Americans are craving that type of transparency. Are they? I think Americans are craving authenticity. I mean, I think that's what they saw with Donald Trump in 2016, a kind of no holds barred. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build this wall. Uh, I'm going to do you know X, Y, Z when it comes to immigration, when it comes to balancing the budget, which is totally out of control, right? He campaigned on uh, on uh, taking us out of debt in eight years. And of course, we saw with what was just passed uh, last week with the House and, and the Senate that that's not the case. But I think, you know, Americans are, are craving authenticity and, and they can sit, they can tell when candidates are, are not being authentic, when they're, you know, just ta- sticking to their talking points and things like that. And I think hopefully we'll see some breakout moments with folks both on Tuesday and, and Wednesday night in Detroit. Sari, when a candidate is on the debate stage, a Democratic candidate, and says that taxes for middle America are going to increase. That has to be, from your perspective, a political home run. Well, I this is my main problem with the Democratic Party, and I give this advice freely as a Republican and someone who we'll works with it. Donald we'll Trump. Take it. Yes, please take my inexpensive, expensive <laughs> advice. The main problem with the Democratic Party seems to be they are focused on policies that the average American doesn't work for. And what I mean by that is most people get up at 5.30, they make their coffee, take their kids to school, work nine hours, come home, make dinner, spend two hours watching TV, going to bed and wondering, where did my life go? And they repeat that. And so what they're looking for Washington, D.C. and these elected officials is either affect the promise of the present the promise of the future, and the promise of all their neighbors. And the Democratic Party, when they focus on illegal immigrants, most average voter doesn't see that in Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Florida, New Mexico. When they talk about making sure that um, Medicare is there for all, they are happy with their insurance in New Mexico, Idaho, Iowa, and Maine. And so I think the Democratic Party needs to really sit down and decide for themselves, do they want to work for the average American who lives this 530 a.m. to 11 p.m. life, or do they want to focus on people who are so esoterically not a part of the everyday values that they're happy to vote for people who think socialism is okay? Yeah, it's a great point, and and it's taken in stride. Series is you know we won back the House of Representatives campaigning on bread and butter issues, making health care four in ten Americans that went and turned out uh, in 2018, uh, flipping the House back to the Democrats said health care was their number one issue. When Democrats return to those basic issues, as you as you rightly point out, that affect everyday life, I think that is where we will be successful. I do, I do think entertaining a, a conversation about health care for folks that are not here. Uh, with papers is not the best way to persuade, engage Trump voters that we need to win back, especially in key states like Michigan, where the debate is taking place. You know, when is Castro, what night's Castro on? Uh, that's a good question. I think he's on the second night. I think he's um, the one to watch. With Biden, Harris, and Booker. I think he's the one Booker. to watch. 
uh, for this cycle, for this for this second debate as well. We're going to be in Detroit. You can catch all of our con- co- coverage. The Democratic presidential candidates square off in their second debate tomorrow night and on Wednesday night. Tune in to listen right here, right here to all of that debate. We're going to have special coverage. I'm headed to Detroit. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. My bags are packed. I'm headed to Detroit right after we get off of air today. Night, their second Democratic presidential debate on Tuesday night and Wednesday night. They're gonna candidates are gonna square off. Uh, we're gonna have special coverage of it, so you can listen right here on Bloomberg 99.1. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm here with Kevin Walling, a Democratic strategist, 2020 insider, and now he's over at HD Creative Media. And I'm also here with the Sari Kim, a Republican strategist. She has been everywhere. It seems like you've really been everywhere in the past week. Uh, I don't know how you're doing it. I mean, every I'm time haunting I'm, your dreams, Kevin. Every That's time, <laughs> every time I look up at Fox on Mueller Day, and you're on. So I, you're you're hitting it out of the park. You previously worked uh, as a Trump insider, so we're so grateful that both Kevin and Sari have been so generous with their time for us. Sari, uh, the director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, he's gone. He's out. Why and who's replacing him? I think Don, Dan Coats is out, one, because he made decisions that he did not necessarily get approval from President Trump. The boss is the boss. You have to yeah. get approval first. And two, what was the second question? Who's replacing him? <laughs> <laughs> I was stalling. Um, it, he is a congressman from Texas, the Radcliffe. former, uh, yes, John Radcliffe, former um, district attorney. He also, very importantly, ran the anti-terrorism unit for one division of the U.S. Department of Justice. So I was struck by this because, you know, we're all wonks here. We're all nerds here. Well, you guys are smarter than I am. But in, ter- but in terms of the, the, the director of national intelligence, this was created after September 11th. This is a role that was supposed to, I guess, really sort of keep tabs on the intelligence community as a whole. But Respectfully, I mean, in 2019, like, you know, Secretary of State Pompeo, the CIA director, the NSA director, I, I, I think there's been, and again, I was talking to Eli Lake about this, Bloomberg Opinion columnist, and he was kind of, you know, telling me there's some debate about what does the director of national intelligence do in 2019? Is this fair or am I, am I way off, way no, off in left field? No, it's a good question, Kev. I mean, as you rightly point out, uh, the, the whole kind of organizational structure was put in place after 9-11 because one of the things that was faulted in our government was that this FBI, CIA, uh, the, uh, the uh, defense intelligence agencies, they were all not talking, right? And we could have prevented potentially the attacks on 9-11 had there been intelligence sharing across the different agencies. So Homeland Security was created in the wake of that, of course, with uh, Secretary Ridge being the Ridge, first secretary, PA guy, PA guy. PA guy former governor. Uh, along with this position, actually Dan Coates in the U.S. Senate helped 
uh, create this position, create this organization from Indiana, of course, uh, before he took that on uh, in the first term. I think Sarah's absolutely right. I mean, I I, I don't think there was a lot of love lost between Dan Coats uh, and the president from the get-go, maybe because Dan would speak to the press, maybe because Dan uh, was more outspoken in his role. Uh, But I don't think he was brought in to a number of intelligence decisions over the last two years, and and that showed. Um, I, I just hope that whoever takes this position, whether it be Congressman Ratcliffe from Texas or whoever, that it is a professional, and we depoliticize these kinds of intelligence positions. I want to stay away from we. Lord knows we've had enough polarizing discussion. I've had my fill for the week off of today, so I want to actually really double down on policy right now. What should the Director of National Intelligence role be in 2019, Sarah Kim? I mean, I honestly. I'm not speaking on behalf of the administration. I don't think we need it. I mean, uh, we have so many other intelligence agencies. And as Kevin correctly pointed out, it was created. There's two of us. um, (laughs) Walling, to my right. The the more handsome Kevin. The one. Oh, Oh, no. Um, So, you know. I'm speechless. (laughs) DNI was created uh, basically as a clearinghouse of information. They were supposed to be the central repository. And then they were supposed to make sure that people talk with one another. It's you can just pick up the phone and call (laughs) your friend at the CIA. I don't know why we have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars doing this. And I think that's the same problem that we have at Homeland Security. And so really, at the end of the day, what Congressman Radcliffe is going to do for the president of the United States is have someone he trusts to give information that he trusts. That's the only difference. The difference, the main difference in my mind between Dan Coats and John Radcliffe is one is a friend of the president who he trusts and the other advanced policies that it's he didn't necessarily. Level. It is a cabinet it level is, position. So, but I see that the fact that I don't even know that. It's like jarring I, to me. Yeah, I don't know necessarily if it's if it's cabinet level. It maybe depends on the administration whether they elevate it, just like EPA and stuff like that. But depending on an administration's priorities, um, I, I think the position is is radically important, especially in this day and age. Uh, I, I hope the president gets a confirmed DHS secretary. Right now, again, we still have an acting capacity. I applaud the president for uh, nominating a strong Secretary of Defense. They got bipartisan support in the Senate just last week. Um, right now. We have been fortunate to have not uh, suffered any kind of attacks on our homeland. I credit a really strong intelligence service. We need to maintain that and, again, take politics out of this. I think, I think what, we, what we just established, though, is that whomever, whomever is the director of national intelligence has an opportunity or opportunity may be a loaded word, but maybe has to, has to carve out what the role is in 2019. Right, and I think it's um, really important for those who don't understand how government and bureaucracy works. Your cabinet department, whether it's defense, state, HHS, DNI, whatever it is, it's only as good as the relationship of the head with the president. And in the intelligence community, whatever they feel about the president and the things that he said, they have a real opportunity to build a strong relationship with John Radcliffe, who is very close to the president. And as we have seen with Secretary Pompeo, you see a fundamentally different approach to foreign policy based upon who runs it. So, so this is what I, you know, just learned. The DNI, the director of national intelligence, is a cabinet level official, right. but not technically a member of the cabinet. And apparently, there is a difference 
and what that would mean. You mentioned Secretary of it's, State. It's um, a chain of succession should everybody yeah. die, think designated survivor. Oh, Lord. Are we that? <laughs> All I know is that Kiefer Sullivan's in charge yeah. uh, if that happens. Well, that's for the record for those who are transcribing. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So we had this interview with the Secretary of State. It was an State. amazing interview, Kevin. Great yeah. job, Kevin. Thank you. That's Made what, so much news. Effort. It was yeah. a team effort. Christine Barada and I. And our entire print reporting team, we worked very, very hard on that. Uh, but I was really struck by this because I want to play for you a portion of the interview because Tehran responded. The Iranians responded. So take a listen to this exchange I had with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo last week about whether or not he wants to go to Tehran and appear on Tehran television. Take a listen. I would welcome the chance to speak directly to the Iranian people. I've, I've talked about this before. Uh, Zarif gets to come here, he comes to New York, he drives around in the most wonderful city in America, uh, and, the, and he speaks to the media, he talks to the American public, uh, gets to put uh, Iranian propaganda out into the American airwaves. I'd like a chance to go not do propaganda, but speak the truth to the Iranian people about what it is their leadership has done and how it has harmed Iran. So that was Secretary of State Mike Pompeo last week. Then just uh, today, the foreign minister of Iran, Mohammad Javad Sarif, said that this was a quote-unquote defensive move and that Iran sees no sincerity in Secretary Pompeo's offer. Then the Secretary of State tweets out and says, we aren't afraid of Zarif coming to America where he enjoys the right to speak freely. Are the facts in the regime so bad that they cannot let me do the same thing in Tehran? What if his people heard the truth unfiltered on the bridge? Sari, wow, he really wants to go to Iran. I mean, if anybody in the world has seen President Trump operate, they have seen that he is very much a face-to-face -face person. He wants to look you in the eye and ascertain what you're thinking. They have made multiple attempts to reach out to the president, to the Ayatollah, to the foreign minister, to the... Talk? Yeah, why I, I know, talk? I know. Why, why, so, why aren't they talking to us? And so, you know, that's why the Iranian government, I think, is afraid of Secretary Pompeo coming over because the maximum pressure campaign, they are able to say America hates Tehran. America doesn't want Tehran to succeed. America wants 40% unemployment amongst the young people. And so, you know, Secretary Pompeo will go any day. He'll probably put you in the jump seat with him, Kevin. You know, hey, and I'd you go can to go Tehran. over My there. My bags are packed. I'm going to Detroit. And, and I think it would be a monumental thing for not just the Iranian people, for the, but for the stability of the Middle East for this conversation to occur. All right. I want to say thank you to Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist. Sari Kim, thank you for lending us your expertise as well. Download the Sound On podcast on all of our different platforms. Don't forget, we're going to have continuing coverage of the second Democratic presidential debate. I'm headed to Reagan Airport. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Thanks for joining. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.